before I start, a vision that the Lord gave me in worship that was um, not a vision. I don't know. I don't really see pictures. I just hear words, and they kind of paint a landscape. I don't know. Um, but God kind of described his kingdom in relationship to my heart as like a medieval kingdom where one king has just conquered a land. He defeated the king of that land, but it's not like there's phones and stuff. And so he is going around to the little villages and hamlets in that kingdom and saying, okay, this is under my leadership now. So that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I've always had kind of a hard time squaring, like, okay, Jesus did win the victory when he rose again. But also, there is still work to be done in my heart, and not everything is under his leadership yet. That's always been kind of hard to square for me, but I don't know. That made it make a lot more sense to me that he did win the victory, and he's just kind of going around, and I'm going with him and being like, okay, in the place of disbelief, Jesus is king now. In the place of anger, Jesus is king now. Like over all of these places in my heart, Jesus is king now. And sometimes there's little rebellions and there's little uprisings and we have to go back through and be like, hey, Jesus is king here. Um, but he has won the victory. He is king of that land in my heart. Um, but what I'm actually going to be preaching about is being salt and light. So I'm going to start in Matthew 5, verse 13. Um, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So what we're called to be is we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to be an example and a reflection of Christ to the world. So a couple of questions um, that the Lord wanted me to answer this morning are, first of all, can we do that? Second of all, how do we do that? And then the biggest one, I think, for us especially is what does doing that look like? So the first question is, can we do that? I think the answer is a pretty clear, resounding yes. Um, we'll go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then also in Matthew 5, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, God will never ask of us something that is impossible. But in Matthew 19, it says that with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So there's a lot of 
people who talk about like, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's true, but he'll never give you more than you can handle if you give it all to him. And if you're giving it all to him, there's nothing that he can't handle. So he's really going to, what it is, is he'll test you as much as you're willing to give over to him. That's more what it is as opposed to like, a, oh, well, God will never give you something that's too hard for you. He'll give you stuff that's too hard for you all the time because he wants you to give those things to him. He wants you to realize that your leadership and your strength and your wisdom is completely fallen and failed and you need to give it to him. So he'll give you stuff that you can't handle constantly. If you're a believer, you should always be running up against things that you can't handle and you have to give to him. So I don't think that this is new information for any of us, um, but I just feel this Lord, I feel the Lord prompting this reminder that we're not subjected to futility. He's not asking us to work towards a goal that's impossible to attain, no matter how much it feels like it. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And this does relate to physical things that we need. He will provide for us. Um, But I think what it points to a lot more is when we ask him, to change our heart, when we ask him to um, bring us under subjection, he's going to do it. He doesn't ask us to ask these things of him without, I don't know how to explain it, because like we get this thought in our head, or at least I do, that we might be subjected to futility, but it's very clear in the scripture that we're not. I get this thought in my head all the time, like, okay, maybe I'm just supposed to suffer for my entire earthly life until Jesus comes back, and then everything will be good. But, like, that's not the God that we serve. So it'll take an eternity to be fully perfected. But I want us to take a moment and look back at our individual testimonies. I want us to actually take a second and do this. And um, during response, I think it would be really cool if we could take a moment um, and just think about where God has brought us to from where we are and just kind of prophesy that because our testimony is so good at uplifting each other. Um, So I think while all of us can easily see that we are, in fact, not perfect. I do think I can say by faith, without knowing everyone's journey and testimony intimately, that we have all made it to places in our spiritual life that we previously thought impossible, that we had previously relegated to after we are with Jesus and our resurrected body. I think if we look back at our lives and who we used to be two, five, ten, however many years ago, that the Lord has given us clarity, victory, and wisdom in aspects of our spiritual or emotional life or our thought life that we never imagined that we'd have. I want to touch on that more later, but um, I feel like this is something we kind of already innately know, like I said, but um, 
I think it's so important to keep looking back on that, like, when we come here and when we let the Holy Spirit reveal things that aren't in line with God's government and we give them to him, that we actually do see victory in these things. I think it's just super important. Um, so a couple of verses on why I think it's important to remember that. Um, like, it's not just like a, oh, this is a nice thing. Like, I think you have to remember and look and see that you have gotten victory in things or else you're just going to completely lose heart. Um, so Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Um, and then Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Um, if we don't have hope, if we don't have vision, if we don't have revelation, if we don't have eyes to see our victory in Jesus right now, if we don't have eyes to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, it's very dangerous to the longevity of our walk for our endurance and the running of our race. And then subsequent to that, it hinders what kind of light we can be in the earth. It hinders what kind of witness we can be. If all we think about and the contemplations of our heart are, man, how bad am I? How fallen am I? How messed up am I? But we don't have any vision for like, I am so messed up, but God has shown me these things in my heart and he's actually taken them from me. He's actually lifted me up. Like That is what is going to be salt and light to the earth is not just I come to church every week, a couple of times a week, and I'm just praying, God, I am bad at this, make me better. God, I'm bad at this, make me better, without any victory. So I just want us to think about what witness we're bearing on the earth. I want to think about if we are being the city on the hill that draws other toward, others towards its light, are we the bride that provokes Israel to jealousy? I think yes and no. I think we are, but not all the way. I think there's just things that God wants to call us deeper and draw us higher in. I think we need to be really careful about staying out of a form of never-ending self-flogging Christianity. Like, we think that because, like, oh, we're Protestant, we don't do the indulgences, we don't do the purgatory, that we don't have some sort of works-based faith. But I think it's so easy for us to fall back into that, that it might not be like, we don't think we're saved by, like, giving to the poor or taking communion or doing confession. We know we're not saved by that, but we start to think that we're saved by our own housekeeping in our hearts. And that's not what saves us. What saved us was Jesus's death and resurrection on the cross. And what is bringing us into his kingdom is his leadership in our lives, not us digging deep in our hearts and finding out like, okay, what junk do I have to get out of here for God to come inhabit me? What it is, is actually, God, I want you to come inhabit me and take the junk out. Instead of what can I get out of God's way, it's God, I need you to come and fill me. And when you show me something, 
that is wrong in the way that I think, in the way that I feel, in the way that I act, then I'm going to agree with you about how to fix that. So I just, it's a hard thing because I don't, you can't hear anything that I'm saying in the flesh and understand it. You can't hear anything that happened in worship. You can't hear any message in any church in the flesh and get what God is trying to say because it's so easy to hear what I'm talking about and be like, okay, well, I just, I need to stop focusing on repentance and I just need to focus on the victory. It's already won. Like, that's not it either. You have to hear these things, take them back to God and say, God, where am I off? And then just agree with him. And where he says, you're actually doing this great, believe him. And say, thank you, God, that you've helped me do this. And where he says, you're a little off here. Okay, God, I give that to you. I don't know how to make myself on here, but I'm going to believe in faith because you've made me less depressed, less anxious. You've made me less controlling. You've made me whatever. I've seen you do it before. I know you'll do it with this new thing that you're giving to me. Um, So all of that to say, constant repentance, which is really just trying to fix ourselves instead of letting God fix us and not moving forward in freedom and victory is not the gospel that we were saved into. Back again to 2 Corinthians 3.17, but I will want to focus on a different half of that verse that I already read. Um, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What are we praying that people get saved into? What kind of witness are we to the earth, to the rest of the church, to our city, to our family, to Israel? We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. Anything besides that falls short. Anything besides that is not Christianity. If you're not being led by the Spirit, you are not in Jesus' kingdom. If you come here and you do the house of prayer, if you come here and you preach a message, if you come here and you lead worship, but you're doing it in your flesh, and you're not being led by the Spirit, you're not in God's kingdom, and you're at risk of falling away. You have to be led by the Spirit. There are going to be people who come into churches, and they serve, and they preach, and they give, and God is going to say, I never knew you. There are going to be people out in the country, in the middle of nowhere, who get to church maybe once a month, And they are going to be seated right next to God because they spent their time saying, God, what do you want me to do? That is what's important. And it's, I'm not saying that this is where you, it gets into like, you have to take this back to God. You can't try and fix all of these things by yourself because you'll hear what I'm saying and you'll be like, okay, well, I need to go and just get with me and God and go be in a cabin somewhere and I need to get with me and God and that's how I'm going to actually get saved. That's not true either. 
You need to do what God is telling you to do every day. That's what Jesus did. You need to do only what you see the Father doing, and you need to say only what you hear the Father saying. And Jesus died so that we could do that. And it's not easy. And it's not something you're going to do all the time or even most of the time. But it is what we're striving for. And it is what we're called to. We're called to be perfect just as our Father in heaven is perfect. And he's not going to say it if he doesn't think we can do it. Because we can with him. He's not saying be perfect for no reason. He doesn't say anything for no reason. So how do we do this? How do we become salt and light? How do we become the example that Jesus wants to be, wants us to be? Shining and being a light is our natural state. This right now, what we're in, is not our natural state that we were created to be in. God with man is our natural state. When somebody dwells with the Lord, they become light to varying degrees. When Adam walked in the garden with the Lord, he didn't even need clothes. He was shining. He was radiant. Moses, in Exodus 34, verse 29. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, I also think it's cool that in this verse it's called the tablets of testimony instead of the tablets of the law. I think that's cool. Um, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all of the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And then in Matthew 6, verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, that light that is in you is darkness, how great that darkness So I just want to remind all of us of something, once again, that we already know. I think there's a lot of Christianity. There's a lot of our walk with God. Um, I think there's a reason that there's four Gospels that they had to say at four different times, four different ways, and that a lot of the Bible, I don't know, have you guys ever seen that chart where it's like all of the self-referential parts in the Bible, like, yeah, God knows that we kind of need to hear things a lot of different times in a lot of different ways before we understand it. So that's why I keep saying, like, I think we already know this, but, like, there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge, and I think, I don't know, I just want to give us, really all I want to do is I want to give us something to pray about this week. That's really all I'm up here to do is to give you something to talk to God about this week. Um, So something that the Lord wants us to remind us of is that the focus is God. The focus is not our sin. That is not why we come here. We do not come here to gaze on our sin. We come here to gaze on the Father in his throne room And as he reveals our sin, our shortcomings, our unbelief, we repent, we give it to him, we take a step closer, we keep beholding, we keep becoming. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Lay aside. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the last question is, what does this look for, like for us practically? How do we know that this is working? Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So we'll know that we're being salt and light by the fruit. And what is the fruit? Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Oh, sorry. sorry, my phone's acting up. All right. <laughs> I should have just printed this out. Um, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking each other, envying one another. And because it's me who's preaching, we're going to once again, for good measure, go over the most important fruit, the one that all others flow out of. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and, angel, men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things.
I just want to be clear that we can't make ourselves like that. We can't make ourselves loving. We can't make ourselves show the fruits of the Spirit. That comes from being grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. If we run around trying to be more loving, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more selfless, outside of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we'll find that we fall short every single time. It is impossible to love God without God. And even more than that, it is impossible to love people without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this by ourselves. Another short message. If the worship team wants to come back up, I am going to close here. So this is a word that I felt the Lord is giving us for this hour. It's a conviction, but it's also a call to something higher. Don't miss the encouragement. Don't miss the congratulations that's in here. He chastens those who he loves. He's taking us deeper, precept upon precept, line upon line, from glory, from, from glory to glory, from strength to strength. Let us not forgo repentance. Let us not cast off what he's already given us. But let us look forward to deeper understanding, deeper intimacy, and more revelation of Jesus and of the heart of the Father towards us. Let's remember our many victories in him and let them spur us on to greater things, making our light a little brighter. Let's remember that repentance isn't fixing ourselves. It's just agreeing with God about what is in our hearts and agreeing with God about what to do about it. God, I just ask that you would lead us deeper. God, I ask that you would help us cast off any weight that hinders, Lord, so that we can run our race. God, I just ask that you would perfect our hearts, Lord, more and more as we see the day approaching. I ask that we would have oil in our lamps and that we would be a pure and spotless bride when you return, Jesus. We want to see your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.